From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CogCast. As an entrepreneur and owner of two downtown Riverside businesses, City of Riverside Councilmember Ronaldo Fierro brings a unique and dynamic perspective to the conversations surrounding regional innovation. So, without further ado, joining me on the podcast today is Councilmember Ronaldo Fierro. Councilmember, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So, can you just start us off and tell us a bit about yourself? No, of course. Um, so like you said, I'm a council member here in Riverside uh, for Ward 3, uh, was elected in uh, or was elected in November of 2019 and was sworn in in December. So um, majority of my time in office has been during COVID. So that's been a unique challenge <laughs> to deal with. But um, I'm also a small business owner. That was my initial start. Um, I own a restaurant in town, The Salted Pig. And subsequently after that, we opened up a cocktail bar called W Wolf Skill. So um, come from a really entrepreneurial family. My family um, were produce wholesalers their whole life. So my dad grew up in San Bernardino, um, was a young, young Mexican kid who picked fields and eventually owned his own company. I mean, really the American dream. So strong entrepreneurial family and certainly the first person in my family to get this involved in politics. Mm, that's awesome. Okay, so I am a Riverside native and I've been to both of your businesses. And I have to ask, how, how did you come up with the two names? Oh, no, that's a good, that's a good question. Thank you for the support always. Um, also a Riverside native. Um, the Salted Pig, I mean, it's not that, not that interesting of a story. You know, it was, uh, uh, we knew we were going to have, uh, at the time, a focus on uh, pork belly, a few other pork related products. And just the Salted Pig was the first name thrown out when we were a group of people discussing what we were going to name it. And mm-hmm. it kind of stuck. And um, the W Wolfskill name was a little bit more purposeful. So William Wolfskill was basically the grandfather of the commercial citrus industry. So um, we decided to create a cocktail bar that was citrus focused. So we kind of um, we wanted to use that name and um, kind of create a kind of a false storyline around him that he was this eccentric produce mogul who um, <laughs> eventually took refuse in one of his old packing houses, very akin to the, the recluses of the 20th century, you know, Howard Hughes, um, Steve McQueen, people mm. of that nature. So that was kind of where those names came from. So cool. Well, that, that's kind of fun to hear the backstory. I, re- I really do love both of your businesses. The restaurant is fantastic and Wolfskill is just such a fun environment. Um, but so being a Riverside native yourself, what's your favorite thing about um, the Inland Empire area? No, it's a very good question because I, I get it a lot, right? Especially when I opened my businesses, there was a lot of uh, rumblings about why did you do this in Riverside? Why didn't you go to LA or Orange County or an area where this style of restaurant is a little bit more prevalent? And my answer is always the same is that I'm from Riverside and I have a strong love for the city. I have a strong love for the region. Um, and it's up and coming, you know, it's at, for what it's worth, the destiny of areas like LA, San Diego, San Francisco, these large metros, you know, they were set in motion a long time ago. Mm-hmm. We have a chance to actually create something that is unique for our region. So for me, it was never about building a business that would, that was, you know, in any way related to a business that maybe someone has seen in another city. It was about building a restaurant and a cocktail bar that was for Riverside from Riverside. So, um, but in terms of what I love about it, I mean, regionally well, well-placed, I mean, you know, you know, I know it's a typical trope at this point, but hour from the beach, hour from the mountains, hour from LA, 
Um, and to me, that that centralized location just it really speaks to the opportunities we have in an area like this. So you probably started already talking about um, maybe some of the reasons that you wanted to start businesses in Riverside County, but maybe can you talk about um, perhaps some of the strategy behind why downtown Riverside um, for both of your businesses? So it's kind of the same answer. You know, it's it, downtown was a little bit lost in terms of what direction it wanted to go. You know, it was not necessarily a hotbed for hospitality. Mm-hmm. Certainly we had the Mission Inn and a few other, um, you know, kind of anchors that kind of kept downtown relevant. But nobody wanted to take a chance to open a restaurant in downtown Riverside because they so often failed. Mm-hmm. And my opinion was always that businesses don't fail because of where they're at. They fail because they weren't right for the time, they weren't ran well, um, and sometimes for reasons completely outside of their control. But I always felt that if there was going to be a hospitality revolution in the city of Riverside and in the region, it was going to happen in downtown Riverside. So I was, I'm was i a bit of a gambler at heart. So <laughs> the idea of doing something that's not easy, that's not a layup, um, you know, we were really excited to take on that challenge. And I'd like to think that a lot of the growth in downtown that we in some part played a role in that. Certainly. And I think you bring up, I've never really considered how relevancy is tied to business, like uh, business action, if you will, in a, in a particular area. But that's so true that many of the businesses that are in the downtown region really do keep downtown Riverside relevant. They keep the interest there, the heightened interest there's something drawing people to that area. That's really interesting. So on the flip side of the coin, you're obviously a business owner, but you're also a council member. So why, why run for city council? Um, so it's honestly the same reason why I opened a business. Hmm. You know, I always wanted whatever I did to have a significant impact on my community and, you know, being able to be at the table to help make the decisions and to shape the future of the city and the area I was living in, um, was always going to be a big part of anything I wanted to do. And I have a seven-year-old daughter. So Mm -hmm. that's on the back of my mind always now. It's like, how do I create a a Riverside 30 years from now Mm -hmm. that my daughter wants to live in, that is excited to raise her family in? And if it gets to a point where she decides she wants to leave, you know, to me, that'll be a failure. That that'll be that I didn't accomplish that goal. So to me, that kind of keeps me focused on wanting to make my community and my city the best it can possibly be. So Mm When it comes to local government, you know, our city council has such a strong, you know, role in making sure that this region actualizes its potential. And I definitely want to be part of that conversation, not for any other reason than if I'm going to put my time and effort, blood, sweat and tears into my city that Mm -hmm. I want to be at the table making the decisions. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So what would you say are some of like your key priorities as a city council member? Um, Because now you're you're dealing with a lot of different, a lot of different topics, um, much, I guess, broader in scope. Oh, I mean, as broad as it can be, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think there's, there's very few topics that don't come across our desk in these roles. Mm -hmm. So the the goal from the get go, whether it was in the campaign or in our early days in office, was about economic development and it was about sustainability and lucky enough for us i felt that those two issues aligned you know that we had a chance to really grow our economy here in riverside in a new way you know primarily a lot of the growth of wages in this area have been related to construction jobs Mm -hmm. and that is that is wonderful those are good high-paying jobs but for a long time they've been the only good high-paying jobs so the idea of bringing in a whole new industry 
you know, this, this industry that's about clean air and green tech, you know, we really are well positioned to be a hotbed for that type of innovation. And with the relocation of the California Air Resources Board coming to the city of Riverside, that was the first domino to fall. And we want to leverage that regulatory agency being here and become a champion for that type of technology and for companies that want to be close to their regulators. So to me, those stars just aligned and it was it was obvious that that was the direction that we wanted to go. And those two issues, you know, business development and, you know, making sure that we're doing our part to combat climate change and to reduce emissions and to get to carbon neutrality as quickly as possible, you know, that that I would say has been our primary um, priorities and goals. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think that's actually really interesting that you bring up economic development and sustainability. So WRCOG, maybe <laughs> coincidentally, also has like a, a guiding document that's called the Economic Development and Sustainability Framework. And so that I think those two really do are aligned in so many different ways. I did want to pivot a bit our conversation um, about innovation and entrepreneurship. And so how do you define innovation and maybe what are some examples that you've seen done in the region? No, and that's a, that's a question that's been posed a few times, right? Because innovation is, has become such a catch-all term. Totally. And in actuality, innovation is defined as something new, right? It's, it's, it's a new invention. It's a new service. It's, you know, it's, it's generally described as something that's being created. I've always felt that innovation is a lot more about seeing things from a different angle. Hmm. And, you know, with anything in life, with whether you're developing a business or whether you're developing policy framework, it's about seeing old problems with new solutions. Hmm. So to me, it's not always about it being completely from scratch. It's about just seeing it from a new angle. Economic development isn't new. Um, I just see it from a different angle. I want to develop our economy around a different industry. And, to do that requires innovation. And just because it's not new doesn't mean it's not innovation. It just means we're seeing it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a really interesting way to put it. To say, you're seeing it from a different angle. And I think we've seen that um, over the past year with COVID-19 and many of the another really key term right now, pivoting that has had to happen. Um, but maybe do you think you can share a couple examples of of how maybe your businesses have done that or maybe other examples you've seen um, in the city of Riverside? Absolutely. No, pivoting, pivoting is, is one of my favorite terms. You know, it's something that, that, that in the business world we, we use a lot, right? It's the mm-hmm. idea that you, you have to be nimble and you can't be so dead set on what you want to do that you're unwilling to recognize change and to change direction, which is what pivoting is. So COVID has done that, not just at the city government level, but like you said, with my businesses, you know, we, we, we don't ever look at a problem as an obstruction. It's just a different thing to solve. And generally to me out of strife comes better ideas. So I think entrepreneurs, we, we live for this, we live for this challenge. And although certainly we would have preferred to not deal with (laughs) COVID-19, it has definitely changed the game in terms of um, cocktails to go is a good example. You know, ABC lifting those restrictions, allowing restaurants to sell cocktails to go has proven that that is a viable model and does not put the public at risk. And to me, a lot of the government, the government regulations that maybe had been in place just because they'd been in place, they got lifted because of COVID. My hope is that they never come back because it's clear that they were stifling innovation, this mm. stifling this idea that restaurants could, you know, reinvent their destiny, reinvent their purpose. And to us, we feed people, we nourish people, and you know, we we like to serve spirits and beer to and wine to people. And 
you know, just because we couldn't serve them in person wasn't going to stop us from that goal. So yeah, very important, very important to just be mindful of what's happening. And, you know, luckily in my businesses, I can pay that quickly because they're small. I understand with large businesses or large organizations like the city of Riverside or the county of Riverside or WR Cog, pivoting can be a little bit more difficult. It's like turning a tinker truck, right? <laughs> so, um, so I'm mindful that it's not so, it's easy to say, it's kind of hard to do, but incredibly important if you want to keep providing service at the highest levels. Mm-hmm. So you talked about even um, cocktails to go and you you were mentioning how there was like, there were, there was regulations, if you will, that were inhibiting that kind of innovation. So the flip side of the coin, what do you think our region can do to encourage innovation and entrepreneurship and foster that rather than stifle it? So I've been thinking about that a lot. And, you know, it's, it's a difficult discussion to have because the way people view the private sector's role and the public sector's role. And I've always felt that they work symbiotically. They're very important to work together because it is the private sector's job to innovate. Like the marketplace is the only place where true innovation can truly happen. Mm -hmm. But it's also the government's job to protect people when there isn't a free market incentive to do that. You know, I think, I think climate change is a perfect example. There has been very little free market demand to reduce emissions, right? So the government had to step in and go, well, if if there isn't a free market incentive to do it, then either we have to create a free market incentive or we have to regulate and we have to mandate. And to me, that that's not a bad thing. So frankly, what the government can do is when it can stay out of the way, you know, let the free market, let innovators, let entrepreneurs do their job. But at the same time, that doesn't mean completely hands off. It means being very purposeful with why you do things. And COVID was a perfect example of that playing out. As much as I wanted to be with all my fellow restaurateurs, complaining about government, complaining about the governor, complaining about, um, you know, the COVID restrictions that were in place, I recognized that those were in place to keep the public safe. And maybe I had a better view of that because of my role on city council. But it's important that we tell that story and that we help businesses where we can but it can't be at the cost of public health or the public safety. So um, in terms of what we can do, I think that encouraging young people to be entrepreneurs, encouraging people to be innovators, but for the most part, the government can't innovate. Like I said, the free market has to, and the best thing we can do is help facilitate whatever possible. And I just think that maybe those options to facilitate aren't as apparent as people like to think they are, so often it's about what you don't do rather than what you do do. Mm-hmm. That that's really that's really interesting perspective because I was going to ask because of your experience and being an owner of multiple businesses, like is there something that um, the fix it person in me wants to be like? Here's your program that's going to solve everything. But um, I don't. From what you're saying, I don't know if that's really even a good approach, particularly from a public sector perspective. Am I in? Am I interpreting you correctly? You are actually, and, and, and I'm the same way. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a problem solver. So if someone says there's a problem, I want to try to find the solution. Mm-hmm. And, and that sometimes making sure that policymakers and business owners are aligned, mm-hmm. that can be a difficult alignment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't, as somebody who comes from both worlds now, I can tell you right now that they don't speak the same language. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so much of my job has been translating what government's doing to business owner friends and translating to city people, what business owners are thinking and how they hear certain things. So to me, it's about getting on the same page and working together as partners. Hmm. And like I said, that doesn't have to happen through a specific policy. It doesn't have to happen through, there is no, as much as I agree, I wish there was a 
a quick fix or a magic bullet. <laughs> but we know with policy, it, it's always, it's incremental, right? It, it's, I'm trying to solve this problem and then, oh, wait, now I created this problem. So it's it, it's two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't discourage us from trying to find policy that can make a better landscape for everybody. But sometimes that challenge is, is a big uphill battle. So you talked about um, private sector and public sector kind of speaking two different languages, and probably you more than anyone probably knows and have has experienced that. And so, what do you are there things that we as a community of both private and public sector representatives, if you will, what can we do as a community to come together to speak the same language and be more on the same page? Like with all things, it starts with empathy. You know, it, it, it's about recognizing why someone's coming at something a certain way, mm -hmm. you know, and so often I've noticed that, you know, when it comes to government, when it comes to entrepreneurs, they're both very stubborn <laughs> and they're stubborn because they live in their silo. They live in their world mm -hmm. with their language and with their people who think the same thing. And sometimes that empathy can kind of fall by the wayside. I don't think anyone tries to be unempathetic, but it happens frequently. Mm -hmm. So I think that the best thing we can do is make sure that we're trying to relate to each other and we realize that we're on the same page and we're going in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And if business owners think the government is trying to be an obstruction, they're going to close off and basically just be an opponent. If business starts, I mean, if government starts to think that business owners just want to make a quick buck and don't care about people and don't, and that they have, they have to be the one to protect um, people. Then, then also that is a big, huge disconnect where you always assume that business owners have nefarious intent. Hmm. And like with all things, it's generally ignorance. Hmm. People always think that there's some master plan to, to screw this person over or this organization over. And really, it's just a lack of understanding of who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. So to me, it's empathy and understanding and and having those conversations so that that those things can become more prevalent. Mm -hmm. It's it sounds like it's a very it's a it's a relationship. It's it's that relational give and take of a conversation and being in community with people. So um, going back to um, kind of tapping into your entrepreneurial experience um, as an entrepreneur, I'm hoping that we have some young entrepreneurs that are vying for advice from someone who has seen success in their businesses and in their ventures. So what kind of advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? You know, <laughs> to make sure that you don't get discouraged. To me, the, the most important skill and attribute that a business owner can have is persistence. Hmm. Is that failure that, you know, I can't remember the famous quote, but that, you know, Thomas Edison, you know, didn't fail a thousand times. He found a thousand ways not to make an incandescent light bulb. Mm -hmm. And in that's your failures are always precursors to your successes. And the great thing about business is you only have to be right once, hmm. you know, and it's, and it, to me, it, it's, it's not seeing failure as failure at all. I know it's easy for people to say that, like, don't failure isn't failure. It's just a stumble. Right. But it can really be, it can really be demoralizing when, when you fail hmm. and you put yourself out there, sometimes you don't, you don't want to go back, hmm. but you have to love it. You have to love failure. You have to love, you know, crises and love problem solving. <laughs> and, and if you don't, maybe being, maybe being an entrepreneur isn't for you. And, and that, and I don't say that to be mean, but just to get people a real expectation of, you know, I remember the first advice I got when I asked somebody if I should run for city council 
from my wife, of course. And she said, are you okay losing? And, 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 I, and I got upset and I, I didn't like that, that question, but it was the right question for me. It really was because it was like, if you're not okay failing, then don't do it. And to me, it's the second I ask a business owner, I get it. Someone asked me for advice. That's the first thing I ask them. I say, are you cool failing? And they go, well, I'm not, you know, I'm like, no, it's not to say you will fail. It's saying that by understanding that you could, it, it reframes your mindset. And now all of a sudden you're, you know, it's like, you can't put yourself out there and put it all on the line if you're afraid of failure, because you just won't do it well, because you're too afraid of failing. If you are moving full speed ahead, knowing failure could happen, but ignoring it, you know, it's like good strategy with playing poker. You know, if you're worried about conserving the money you have rather than the money you're trying to win, then then you're working against yourself. So that would be the best advice I could give. No, I think that's I think that's brilliant. I, and it goes back to an individual's resilience as well with failing and getting up and doing it again or doing something different and pivoting. <laughs> yep. So kind of closing out our conversation, but I want to vision cast and kind of get your take on what you hope to see happen in the city of Riverside, specifically in the greater um, Western Riverside subregion. What are some of the things that you hope to see happen in the next 10 years? I would like to see the city of Riverside, the Inland Empire, you know, the, the region that is Western Riverside County to become the green Silicon Valley. You know, in the way that Silicon Valley transformed, was transformed by the computer industry, um, by internet startups, and now even more progressive companies like Tesla who are doing really innovative stuff. I think Riverside has the potential to be that for clean tech, for, um, for reducing emissions, for mobility. And to me, that is our greatest opportunity. And if we don't capture it, I think it's a monumental failure of all layers of government in our region. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's car being here is such a key component to this new economy and it's such an opportunity. So to me, that's my vision. My vision is that this area has super well-paying jobs and jobs that help the planet, right? That we, we are, we are fighting the most existential crisis the world has ever seen by making, by making a new economy and by getting people paid well. And by, you know, it, it's it, to me, when you can solve, if we can actually be a part of solving that problem and create a new economy and good paying jobs, to me, there's no greater goal and there's no greater vision I can have for the region than that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for just your commitment to the city and the region. Um, we're really thankful to have you um, on our leadership board at WRCOG. And um, uh, with that said, though, do you have any final remarks before we sign off for the day? No, just that um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the podcast. I've been listening <laughs> to it for quite a while. Oh, gosh. And I'm um, happy to <laughs> no, no, no. And you do, you do a very good job and the guests you have um, speak to a variety of issues. And I just recently listened to the one with a, a good friend of mine, Aaron Sass, and it was a good discussion about, you know, League of Cities, Cal Cities now. And I just, I'm happy to be here and uh, I'll come back anytime you want. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. For more information on Riverside County's Innovation Month happening April 2021, please visit the website at www.rivcoinnovation.org. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit our website at www.wrcog.us. 
For more information about Riverside County's efforts on COVID-19, please visit rivcoph.org slash coronavirus.